0: Hello, 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 welcome to my lair. I am Eddie Mack, and this is the Weekly Grind, a special Spooktober edition. We are diving into another scary short story uh, with lo- some lovely alliteration, hopefully within, um, because I didn't think through that entire sentence, so I didn't make the whole thing alliterate. But we are going to uh, head into a favorite of English classrooms everywhere, uh, the Monkey's Paw by W. W. Jacobs. Uh, I actually remember reading this one in English class, and it's it's very spooky. This is um, this is this is much like like Edgar Allan Poe, where there's nothing you know outright outrightly horrific about it. There's not ghosts and goblins, at least explicitly uh, chasing people at least explicitly. But it, it, it's just creepy. Um, and it, it it kinda it's one of those stories that sinks into your bones and gives you chills at night. And I, I kinda love it for that. So I, I just wanted to share it. It's it's a wonderful story. Um, so with, with all of that, I'm I'm just gonna hop right into it. So just remember, as you listen, to be careful what you wish for. Because you might get it. Without, the night was cold and wet, but in a small parlour of laburnum Villa, the blinds were drawn, and the fire was burning brightly. Father and son were at chess, the former, who possessed ideas about the game involving radical chances, putting his king into such sharp and unnecessary perils that it even provoked a comment from the white-haired old lady, knitting plastic by a fire. Hark at the wind, said Mr. White, who, having seen a fatal mistake after it was too late, was amiably desirous of preventing his son from seeing it. I am listening, said the latter grimly, surveying the board as he stretched out his hand. Check. I should hardly think that he's come to me, said his father with his hand poised over the board. Mate, replied his son. That's the worst of living so far out far, Mr. White, with sudden unlooked-for violence of all the beastly, slushy, out-of-the-way places to live in, this is the worst. Paths of bog and the roads of torn. I don't know what people are thinking about. I suppose because only two houses in the road are let, they think it doesn't matter. Never mind," dear, said his wife soothingly. "Perhaps you'll wondering Mr. White looked up sharply, just in time intercepting a knowing glance between mother and son. The words died away on his lips, and he hid a guilty grin. Thin gray beard. There he is, said Herbert White as the gate banged to, too loudly and heavy footsteps came towards the door. The old man rose with hospitable haste and, opening the door, was heard condoling the new arrival. The new arrival also condoled him with himself, so that Mrs. White said, tut tut, and coughed gently as her husband entered the room, followed by a tall, barley man, beady of eyes and rubicund visage. Sergeant Major Mooks, he said, introducing him. The sergeant major took his hands and, taking the preferred seat by the fire, watched contentedly as his host got out whiskey and tumblers and stood a small copper kettle on the fire. At the third glass his eyes got brighter, and he began to talk. The little family sober regarding his eager interest, this visitor from distant parts, as he squared his broad shoulders in the chair and Spoke of wild scenes and daughty deeds, of wars and plagues and strange peoples. Twenty one years of it, said Mr White, nodding at his and son. When he went away he was a slip of a youth in the warehouse. Now look at him. You don't look to have taken much harm, said Mrs. White. I'd like to go to India myself, said the old man. Just to look around a bit, you know. Better where you are, said the sergeant major, shaking his head. He put down the empty glass and, sighing softly, shook it again. I would like to see those old temples, and fakers, and jugglers," said the old man. "What was that you started telling me the other day about a monkey's paw or something, Morris?" "Nothing," said Maurice. "In least ways, nothing worth hearing." "Monkey's?" said Mrs. White curiously. "Well, it's just a bit of what you might call magic, perhaps," said Sergeant Mander off-ha- offhandedly. His three listeners leaned forward eagerly. Their visitor absentmindedly put the, his empty glass to his lips and then set it down again. His host filled it for him again. "'To look at,' said the Sergeant Major, fumbling in his pocket. "'It's just an ordinary little paw, for I do a month.' He took something out of his pocket and it. Mrs. White drew back with a grimace, but her son, taking it, examined it curiously. "'And what is there special about it?' inquired Mr. White as he took it from his son and, having examined it, placed it upon the table. It had a spell put on it by an old faker," said Sergeant Major, a very holy one. He wanted to show that fate ruled people's lives, and that those who interfered with it did so to their own sorrow. He put a spell on it so that three separate men could have three wishes from him. His manners were so impressive hearers were conscious that their light laughter charged somewhat. Well, why don't you have three, sir? said Herbert White cleverly. The soldier regarded him the way in the middle of that middle age is wont to regard presumptuous youth. I have, he said quietly, and his blotchy face whitened. Then did you really have the three wishes granted? asked Mrs. White. I did, said the sergeant major, and his glass tapped against his strong teeth. And has said anybody else wish, persisted The first man had three his three wishes, yes, was the reply. I don't know what the first two were, but the third was for death. That's how I got involved. His tones were so grave that a hush fell upon If you've had your three wishes, it's no good to you now, said so the old man at last. What do you keep it for the soldier shook his head. Fancy, I suppose, he said slowly. I did have some idea of selling it, but I don't think I will. It has caused me enough mischief already. Besides, people won't buy. They think it's a fairy tale, some of them. And those who do think any of anything of it want to try it first and then pay me afterwards. If you could have another three wishes, said the old man, eyeing him. Would you have? Them? "'I don't know,' said the other. "'I don't know.' He took the paw, and dangling it between his forefinger and thumb, suddenly threw it upon the fire. White, with a slight cry, stooped down and snatched it off. "'Better let it burn,' said the soldier solemnly. "'If you don't want it, Morris,' said the other, "'give it to me.' "'I won't,' said his friend doggedly. "'I threw it on the fire." If you keep it, don't blame me for what happens. Pitch it on the fire like a sensible man. The other shook his head and examined his possession closely. How do you do it? he inquired. Hold it up in your right hand and wish aloud, said the sergeant major. But I warn you of the consequences. sounds like radiant lights, said Mrs. White as she rose and began to set the supper. Don't you think you might wish for four pairs of hands for me?" Her husband drew the talisman from his pocket, and all three burst into laughter as a sergeant major, with a look of alarm light upon his face, caught him by the arm. "'If you must wish,' he said gruffly, "'wish for something sensible.' Mr. White dropped it back in his pocket, and, placing chairs, motioned his friend to take him. In the business of supper, the talisman was partly forgotten. And afterwards, the three sat listening in an enthralled fashion to a second instalment of the soldier's adventures in India. If the tale about the monkey's father is not more truthful than those he has been telling us, said Herbert, as the door closed behind their guest just in time to make just in time to catch the last train. We shan't make much of it. Did you give anything for it, Father? Inquired Mrs. White, regarding her husband closely. A trifle, said he. Coloring slightly. He didn't want it, but I made him take it. He pressed me again to throw it away. Likely, said Herbert, with pretended horror. Why, we're going to be rich and famous and happy. Wish to be an emperor, Father, to begin with, then you can't be henpecked. He darted around the table, pursued by the malign Mrs. White, armed with an antimacassar. Mr. White took the paw from his pocket and eyed it dubiously. I don't know what to wish for, and that's a fact, he said slowly. Seems to me I've got all I've wanted. If you only cleared the house, you'd be quite happy, wouldn't you? said Herbert with his hand on his shoulder. Well, wish for 200 pounds then, that'll just do it. His father smiled shamefacedly at his own credulity, held up the talisman as a son with a sullen face, somewhat marred by a wink at his mother, sat down and struck a few impressive chords. I wish for two hundred pounds," said the old man distinctly. A fine crash from the piano greeted his words, interrupted by a shuddering cry from the old man. His wife and son ran towards him. It moved, he cried, a glance of disgust at the object as it lay on the floor. As I wished, it twisted in my hand like a snake. Well, I don't see the money," said his son, as he picked picked it up and placed it on the table and I bet I never shall. It must have been your fancy father, said his wife, regarding him anxiously. He shook his head. Never mind, though. There's no harm done. But it gave me a shock all the same. They sat down by the fire again while the two men finished their pipes. Outside, the wind was higher than ever, and the old man started nervously at the sound of the door banging upstairs. A silence, unusual and depressing, settled on all three. Which lasted until the old couple rose to retire for the rest of the night. I expect you'll find that cash tied up in a big bag bang, in the middle of your bed, said Mount Herbert as he bade him good night, and something horrible squatting on top of your wardrobe watching you as you pocket your ill gotten gains. He sat alone in the darkness, gazing at the dire, dying fire and seeing faces in it. The last was so horrible and so sinister he gazed at it in amazement. It got so vivid that, with a little uneasy laugh, he felt on the table for a glass containing a little water to throw over. His hand grasped the monkey's paw, and with a little shiver he wiped his hand on his coat and went up to bed. In the brightness of the wintry sun next morning, as it streamed over the breakfast table, he laughed at his fears. There was an air of prosaic wholesomeness about the room, which it had lacked on the previous night, and the dirty, shriveled little paw was pitched on the sideboard, a carelessness that a token no great belief in its virtues. I suppose all old soldiers are the same said as well. The idea of our listening to such nonsense. How could wishes be granted in these days? And if they could, how could two hundred pounds hurt you, might drop on his head from the sky, said frivolous Morris said things happened so naturally that you might, if you wish so, wish to attribute it to coincidence. Well, don't break into the money before I come back, said Herbert as he rose from the table. I'm afraid it will turn you into a mean, avaricious man. Then we shall have to disown you. His mother laughed, and following him to the door, watched him down the road. And returning to the breakfast table was very happy at the expense of her husband's credulity. All of which did not prevent her from scurrying to the door at the postman's knock, nor prevent her from referring somewhat shortly to retired Sergeant Major's of the boldest habits. And when she found the post brought a tailor's bill, Herbert will have some more of his funny remarks. I expect when he comes home, she said, as they sat at dinner. I dare say, said Mister White, pouring himself out some beer. But for all that. The thing moved in my hand. That, I swear to you. you. thought it did, said the old lady soothingly. I say it did, replied the other. There was no thought about it. I, had, I just... What's the matter? His wife made no reply. She was watching the mysterious movements of the man outside, who, peering in an undecided fashion at the house, appeared to be trying to make up his mind to enter in mental connection with the 200 pounds she noticed that the stranger was well-dressed and wore a silk hat of glossy newness. Three times he paused at the gate and then walked on again. The fourth time, he stood with his hand upon it and then with sudden resolution flung it open and walked up the path. Mrs. White, at the same time, placed her hands behind her and hurriedly, unfastening the strings of her apron, put that useful article of apparel beneath the cushion of her chair. She brought the stranger, who seemed ill at ease, into the room. He gazed at her furtively and listened in a preoccupied fashion as the old lady apologized for the appearance of the room and her husband's coat of garment, which he usually reserved for the garden. She would. She then waited as patiently as her sex would permit for him to broach his business. But he was at first strangely silent. I was asked to call, he said at last, and stooped and picked a piece of cotton from his trousers. I came from Ma Megan's. The old lady started. Is anything the matter? She asked breathlessly. Has anything happened to Herbert? What is it? What is it? Her husband interposed. There, there, mother, he said hastily. Sit down and don't jump to conclusions. You've not brought bad news, I'm sure, sir and eyed the other wistfully. I'm sorry, Is he hurt? demanded the mother wildly. The visitor bowed in assent. Badly hurt, he said quietly. But he's not in any pain. Oh, thank God, said the old woman, clasping her hands. Thank God for that. Thank She broke off, as the sinister meaning of the assurance dawned on her, and she saw the awful confirmation of her fears in the other's averted face. She caught her breath, and turning to her slower-witted husband, laid her trembling hand on his. There was a long silence. "'He was caught in the machinery,' said the visitor at a length in a low voice. "'Caught in the machinery,' repeated Mr. White in a dazed fashion. "'Yes.' He sat staring out the window, and taking his wife's hands between his own, pressed it, as he had been wont to do in their old, cold days nearly forty years before. He was the only one left to us, he said, turning gentle to the visitor, It was hard. The other, coughed and rising, walked slowly to the window. The firm wishes me to convey their sincere sympathy with you and your great loss, I beg that you will understand that I am only their servant and merely obeying orders. There was no reply. The old woman's face was white, her eyes staring and her breath went On the husband's face was such a look as his friend the sergeant might have carried into his intersection. I was to say that Ma and Megan's disclaim all responsibility, continued the other. They admit no liability at all. But in consideration of your son's services, they will wish to present you with a certain sum as compensation. Mr. White dropped his wife's hands, and rising to his feet, gazed with a look of horror at the visitor. His dry lips shaped the words. How much? Two hundred pounds, was the answer. Unconscious of his wife's shriek, the old man smiled faintly, put out his hands like a sightless man, and dropped a senseless heap to the floor. In the huge new cemetery, some two miles distant, the old people buried their dead, and came back to the house steeped in shadows and silence. It was all over so quickly that at first they could hardly realize it, and remained in a state of expectation, as though of something else to happen, something else which was to lighten this load, too heavy for old hearts to bear. But the days passed, and the expectations gave way to resignation, the hopeless resignation of the old, sometimes miscalled apathy. Sometimes they hardly exchanged a word, for now they had nothing to talk about, and their days were long to weariness. It was about a week after the old man, waking suddenly in the night, stretched out his hand and found himself alone. The room was in darkness, and the sound of subdued weeping came from the window. He raised himself in bed and listened. Come back, he said tenderly. It will be cold. It is colder for my son, said the old woman, and wept afresh. The sounds of her sobs died away on his ears. The bed was warm, and his eyes heavy with sleep. He dozed fitfully and slept until a sudden wild cry from his wife awoke him with a start. The paw! she cried wildly, the monkey's paw! He started up in alarm. Where? Where is it? What's the matter?" She came stumbling across the room toward it. I want it, she said quietly. You've not destroyed it. It's in the parlor, on the bracket, he replied, marveling why. She cried and laughed together, and bending over, kissed his cheek. I only just thought of it, she said hysterically. Why didn't I think of it before? Why didn't you think of it? Think of what, he questioned. The other two wishes, she replied. We've only had one. Was that not enough? he demanded fiercely. No, she cried triumphantly. We'll have one more. Go down and get it quickly and wish our boy alive again. The man sat in bed and flung the bedclothes from his quaking limbs. Good God, you are mad, he cried aghast. Get it, she panted. Get it quickly and wish. Oh, my boy, my boy. Her husband struck a match and lit the candle. Get back to bed, he said unsteadily. "'I don't know what you are saying.' "'We had the first wish granted,' said the old woman feverishly. "'Why not the second? "'A coincidence,' stammered the old man. "'Go get it and wish!' cried his wife, quivering with excitement. "'The old man turned and regarded her, and his voice shook. "'He has been dead ten days. "'And besides, he—' "'I would not tell you else, but I could only recognize him by his clothing.' clothing. he was too terrible for you to see then. How now? Bring him back!" cried the old woman, and dragged him towards the door. Do you think I fear the child I have nursed? He went down in the darkness, and felt his way into the parlour, and then to the mantelpiece. The talisman was in its place, and a horrible fear that the unspoken wish might bring his mutilated son before him he could escape from the room, sight seized up on him, and he caught his breath as he found that he had lost the direction of the door. His brow cold with sweat, he felt his way around the table and groped along the wall until he found himself in a small passage with the unwholesome thing in his hand. Even his wife's face seemed changed as he entered the room. It was white and expectant and to his fears seemed to have an unnatural look upon it. He was afraid of her. Wish, she cried in a, sink, in a strong voice. It is foolish and wicked, he faltered. Wish, repeated his wife. He raised his hand. I wish my son alive again. The talisman fell to the floor, and he regarded it fearfully. And he sank, trembling into a chair as the old woman with burning eyes walked to the window and raised the blind. He sat until he was chilled with the cold, glancing occasionally at the figure of the old woman peering through the window. The candle end, which had burned below the rim of the china candlestick, was throwing pulsating shadows on the ceiling and walls, until, with a flicker larger than the rest, it expired. The old man, with an unspeakable sense of relief at the failure of the talisman, crept back toward his bed, and a minute afterward, the old woman came silent and apathetically beside him. Neither spoke, but sat silently listening to the ticking of the clock. The stare creaked, and a squeaky mouse scurried nosily through the wall. The darkness was oppressive, and after lying for some time, screwing up his courage, he took the box of matches and, striking one, went downstairs for a candle. At the foot of the stairs, the match went out, and he paused to strike another, and at the same moment a knock came, so quiet and stealthy as to be scarcely audible, sounded on the front door. The matches fell from his hand and spilled in the passage. He stood motionless, his breath suspended until the knock was repeated. Then he turned and fled swiftly back to his room and closed the door behind him. A third knock sounded through the house. "'What's that?' cried the old woman, starting up. "'A rat,' said the old man, and shaking. "'A rat. It passed me on the stairs.' His wife sat up in bed, listening. A loud knock resounded through the house. It's Herbert! She ran to the door, but her husband was before her, catching her by the arm, held her tightly. What are you going to do? He whispered hoarsely. It's my boy! It's Herbert! She cried, struggling mechanically. I forgot it was two miles away. What are you holding me for? Let go! I must open the door! For God's sake, don't let it in! Cried the old man, trembling. You're afraid of your own son? she cried struggling let me go i'm coming herbert i'm coming there was another knock and another the old woman with a sudden wrench broke free and ran from the room her husband followed to the landing and called after her appealingly as she hurried downstairs he heard the chain rattle back and bolt drawn slowly and stiffly from the socket then the old woman's voice strained and panting the bolt she cried loudly come down! I can't reach it!" But her husband was on his hands and knees, groping wildly on the floor in search of the paw. If only he could find it before the thing outside got in. A perfect fusillade of knocks reverberated through the house, and he heard the scraping of the chair as his wife put it down in the passage against the door. He heard the creaking of the bolt as it came slowly back, and at the same moment he found the monkey's paw, and frantically breathed his third, last wish. The knocking ceased suddenly, although echoes of it were still in the house. He heard the chair drawn back, and the door opened. A cold wind rushed up the staircase, and a long, loud wail of disappointment and misery from his wife gave him the courage to run down to her side and then to the gate beyond the street by flickering opposite shown on a quiet and deserted road ooh gives me the chills every time it just it just gives me the chills it's one of those stories that it's it's so human and i think it's really remarkable cuz these characters they're not just you know kind of of run-of-the-mill they're they're not stupid they're they're not like your your typical horror characters not going towards the 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 creepy dark sound like the wife is is kind of uh not the brightest but it's understandable because she her son just died and she just wants to find her son and that's such kind of a, a relatable feeling it's such it's such a human feeling to um, to do something that possibly you know isn't right in an effort to save your family um, and it's 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 just one of those where all the characters hit the, the dynamic between the, the father and the wife and the son is um, is really well done actually especially for for this time they're kind of joking with each other and playing with each other but uh, which makes when when Herbert dies um, all the more powerful because you, you you care about the dynamic that the the three of them have, and then when he's gone, it's noticeable that he's gone because they don't keep carrying on. Like the the two the couple are, are very very different after he dies than before he dies, um, and that's you know intentional. That's on purpose and. It's, it's just a very, very well done story, let alone like a spooky story. And it's very spooky. Um, but that is going to conclude our storytelling for this Spooktober. Halloween is coming up this weekend, and I hope you all have a wonderfully scary time. Uh, because <laughs> next month is the election. And we all know that's the real terrifying thing here. So um, until then, man. Stay spooky.